All right, we have Galatians in front of us. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. That gives you an idea of where we're going. Let me pray, and then we'll unpack it together. Heavenly Father, as we absorb what you are trying to say, we pray that you'd open our minds, open our hearts, deal with any bias, any resistance to understanding grace, to living grace, to receiving grace. We recognize that it is so foreign to us, but so essential to you. I pray that this would be a church, that these would be families, that I would have a life overflowing with the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, bless this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. My question for you this morning as we start out is, do you find yourself in this day and age the day of mass media, the day of internet, the day where the world has become so small because of the linkages we have, the live time, the streaming, all that. Do you find yourself struggling to know who or what to trust anymore? Is anybody with me in that? Because I'm just reflecting in my own life. I find myself listening to all the rhetoric about various topics, from decisions we make to assassinate an Iranian general to global warming, to all these various things, you hear both sides of the story, especially in an election year, and you go, who do I believe? Who do I trust? Because they're brilliant people on both sides of the story, but they're saying two totally different things. And you say, well, I'm, who am I supposed to trust? How do I really know what I can trust? Do you find yourself becoming more skeptical? Or is it just me? And you go, I, I don't know. So I just have a hard time. You hear the news, oh, can I trust this news or is it that news? And this person says, well, it's only this news you can trust. And that person says, it's only that news you can trust. And I don't know about you, but I find watching any news makes me angry. My wife convicted me about that years ago. It was the Today Show. I'd get up in the morning, watch the Today Show, Matt Lauer, Katie Couric. It was a long time ago. <laughs> don't judge me. And I would just get angry. I'd watch their pointed interviews and how they're just, the questions made me mad. And I would be yelling at the television. I'm yelling at Matt Lauer, and my wife says, why are you watching? I said, I don't know. I don't know why. So that was the day I stopped watching morning news. Now I watch it in the evening. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have TVs. So we have this general skepticism in America, and not just in America, I'm sure it's other places, but in America, it's, it's profound. And then we have this thing called church. And we find that people are skeptical of institutions. They're skeptical of organized institutions, skeptical of people and leadership. And then we invite them to church. And then I think we apply that same reasoning to church. Well, how do I know I can trust church? How do I know I can trust the Bible? How do I know I can trust the message of the Bible? I mean, how many of you have had in your life someone challenge you on believing the Bible? Oh, you believe the Bible? You believe that antiquated book? Listen, it's just written by men who were just trying to explain 
things they didn't understand or just trying to control people. That's the only reason the Bible is. Just man trying to control man. That's what the Bible is. And then you start to go, well, maybe they're right. Is that what it is? I mean, is, can I trust the Bible? I don't know if I can. We've titled our study in Galatians. We're going to do the whole letter, chapter 1 to chapter 6. And our general theme, the general theme of Galatians is seeing Christianity clearly. We've got to get the message right. Because unfortunately, in so many areas, the message of the gospel has been wrong. It's been twisted. And that's what's happening in Galatia, this region, multiple churches in various cities, Lystra and Derby and Iconium, places where Paul had planted churches. He gave them the real deal. He gave them God's grace. Now, in case you're struggling, grace is one of those words that we love to say, we love to talk about, but don't always know exactly what it means. It's a beautiful word. So the way I remember it, and the way maybe you can remember it, just a simple way to understand it, is grace is always opposed to law. There's grace or there's law. John, Gospel of John chapter 1 says, law came through Moses, rules and regulations, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there's law, there's grace. They're two completely different systems. Law is what man is required to do for God. Grace is what God, out of his love, has done for man. Simple way to remember it. Law is what man is obligated to do for God. Grace is what God is moved to do for man. So that's what's happening. That's what's at stake in Galatia. Paul brought grace. He brought to them this message of God has done something for you. He has sent his son who's died on a cross so you could have forgiveness of sins because he wants a relationship with you. And you don't have to change anything about yourself to have that. Do you believe that? I mean, when you get that message, I don't know if that's what you heard in church growing up. I don't know about you, but I heard God loves you and he wants a relationship with you if you'll cut your hair, which was never a problem for me. Cover your tattoos, stop smoking, get a job, you know, wear the right clothes and read the right Bible, and pray three times a day, or whatever. There's this list of things that I have to do to make sure I stay in good standing with God. That's the gospel I heard, and maybe that's the gospel many of you heard. And what I have to do depends on the group I'm with at the time. This group has this set of rules, and that group has this set of traditions, and this group has this set of regulations, and to be in with that group, you got to do their thing so you can be accepted by God and by them. That's not what Paul brought to the Galatians. Paul brought that wonderful word, grace, that God did a work among them. God did a work in their lives before they got their life right, before they got their act together, right where they were. And that's what he brought them. And then some other people came in who didn't like grace, who liked having control of people, who thought law was better, to whom it appealed to their sense of pride of showing, that's why law is kind of rules and rule keeping is so attractive because I can say, oh, I'm doing well because God loves him because look what I'm doing. And we somehow like to take credit for that. So law is appealing to self-righteousness. Law is appealing to pride. Law is appealing to boastfulness. And to us as humans, we have that message of, I should get what I deserve. I mean, if I work hard, I should get more. If I work hard in the world, that works. I mean, it works in the world, but we can't bring that into the church. The church is not the world. The message of the world, the message of America is if you work hard, you can succeed. 
the message of grace is Jesus worked hard so you could be blessed. It's nothing to do with you. But we bring that message into the church and then we have our list of all the things I'm doing. I'm blessed because I'm this or I'm that. And that's what was being brought in for them. It was Judaism. It was Jewish religion. It was the sign of the covenant, the sign of the relationship with God for the Jew was circumcision. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. I didn't choose that. That's what they dealt with then. So they would say, look, Jesus is great, but he's not enough. You need Jesus and you have to submit yourself to this ritual. Now for us, it might be on par with saying, Jesus is great, but he's not enough. You have Jesus and be baptized. But not just any baptism has to be baptism in our faith tradition. You see, we add to the work of the cross. So that's what they're dealing with. These teachers that came in after Paul left, they're trying to bring people back under law, back under being right with God is about keeping the rules. And Paul is now fighting to say, no, you've got to trust the message. You're never going to see Christianity clearly unless you see grace clearly. Are we together, church? So that's the background. Verse 11, this is where he's talked about already. The reason he's writing is because they've turned away from grace. They've turned away from Jesus to law-keeping. So now he's following up on that. He says, verse 11, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me, as opposed to these other teachers that have come in, is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he says, look, I'm making known to you guys, I want you to see clearly that the good news of the gospel, the message that I brought to you, I didn't get it from men. It's not a man's message. People's messages are always about, I'm going to place myself higher than you. If you work harder, you can get there. Do, do, do. I mean, that's what we're in an individualistic society like ours. We are all about defining ourselves by what we do. Who are you? Well, I am what I do. I'm a accountant. I'm a teacher. I'm a military guy. That's who I am. I am what I do. And so we bring that into church. I am what I do. That's our thing. That's our culture, which we got to get past. I am who God says I am. So he says, I brought you this message. I didn't get it from man. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace is not a man's message. Well, what do you mean, Paul, when you say you, you didn't get it from man? It's not according to man. Can you define that for us? Well, sure. I'm glad you asked. He says, look at verse 12. Here's what he means. I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it. So he says, look, nobody came to me and passed on this message to me. And in fact, I didn't go to school for it. I didn't have to go away to school where I'd learn about what Christianity was. I didn't say it. It's what he says. At the end of the day, Christianity is about the grace of God and not the accomplishment of man. Even in the getting of the message, Paul is saying, me getting this message, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it wasn't because I did all the right things. It wasn't because I kept all the right rituals and did all the right traditions and did all the right things. I didn't go to the right places to get it. Jesus Christ came to me. It's a difficult concept. But there are some things in life you just can't learn in school. Amen? And one of those things is school can't teach you faith. It can teach you about faith. can tell you things you can trust, but can't do it for you. You see, Christianity is not a series of traditions or morals to learn that have been decided on by a group of people. Unfortunately, that's what Christianity gets melted down into. 
as I said, haircuts, stop smoking, dress right, stop cussing, start tithing, stop drinking. And we reduce Christianity to just moralism. That's all God cares about is that we're moral human beings. And you've missed the gist. If that's it, you're not seeing Christianity clearly. He says, look again at verse 12. I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation. That's a noun, not a verb. It's something, not an action that was taken. It was something. I had a revelation of a person. Christianity at the end of the day is not about a set of rules. It's about a person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. The gist of Christianity is my life has been joined to Jesus's life. That's Christianity. My life joined to Jesus's life. Well, what about tithing? What about baptism? What about the way I dress? That's all a separate matter. That doesn't save you. It doesn't make God happy about you. God loves you as much as he ever could love you before you ever bought the right clothes, whatever you think the right clothes are. What you love about grace, what we love about grace, when I've been to places and I've been around people where everybody looks the same. You ever been to a place like that? Where you go into a church and everybody looks the same. I go, ah, you know, I'm not sure grace is here. Maybe that sounds a little hard. But I look around this room and I see diversity. I see diversity of color, of age, of dress. There are some people that love Calvary Chapel because they can wear flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt. Praise the Lord for flip-flops and Hawaiian shirts. But then there are some people that really feel right about wearing a suit to church. And you can do that too. Praise the Lord. You can wear a suit to church if that's your thing. And I'm glad it's your thing. (laughs) By the way, the reason women live longer than men is because we have to wear ties. (laughs) I'm sure that's the reason. When Jesus is talking to his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, he says, who do men say that I am? They say, oh, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. And then he says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, in a shining moment of clarity, which he's not known for, but it happens occasionally, he says, you are the, what does he say, church? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, amen, Peter, right on. You got it. And then he says something interesting. He says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. The only way for a person to come to that revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, is through a revelation from God. You can't learn that in school. It doesn't matter how much seminary you go to, the book will always be a dead book of information until you know Jesus Christ. You see him for who he is, and all of a sudden the book becomes alive. And you see what he's done. And that changed Paul's life. Because I didn't get it from people. It came because I figured out, I understood, God revealed himself to me through Jesus Christ. I know, I know who Jesus is. I get it. The light goes on. Have you had that moment of clarity where, boo, the light goes on? You're like, I get it. You know, Paul knew Jesus. We don't know how well they would have known each other, but he certainly knew about Jesus. Paul born probably five to six years after Jesus was born. They ran in the same circles in Jerusalem. Paul wasn't from Jerusalem, but he was schooled there. They celebrated the Passover there. They were in the same area. And they knew about, I'm sure Paul knew about Jesus. He knew who Jesus was, but he never knew Jesus until God kind of drew back the blinds and he got it. He didn't have to earn that. It was a gift of God. Grace all the way through. 
He says, verse 13, you heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He says, you guys know what I used to be. I mean, there is no practical reason that I should be preaching the message of grace. There was nothing in me predisposed to that. There is no practical reason. And there's no explanation for the change of my life. It didn't happen because I kept the law, which Paul did. He was a zealous Jew. He kept all the rules, but he wasn't saved. He kept all the rules. He knew the traditions, but he didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was who he says he was. And he says to the church, as he's confirming his message, as he's saying, you can trust the message. He says, you know who I used to be. You ever had someone come into your life that you talked about who you used to be? That former life, I ain't what I'm going to be, but I ain't what I used to be. Paul, in fact, his religion, his Judaism, actually made him an enemy of Jesus. Did you see that? I persecuted the church. That's where Paul develops his concept of the body of Christ on the Damascus Road when Jesus comes to him. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, persecuting you? I'm not persecuting you. It's those people that follow you. And he learns that Jesus identifies intimately with his people. They're his body. And that's why he makes that teaching becomes important to him. You know my former conduct. He was a religious zealot. I was trying to destroy the church, not trying to be part of it. And verse 14, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. So if you had Paul's senior class yearbook, under the senior favorites, Paul would have been most likely to be the next high priest, most likely to excel in Judaism. I mean, he was just the kid that everybody else said, why can't you be more like Saul over there? He look at how hard he studies. Look at how hard he works. He advanced. It means to forge ahead, to lengthen by hammering. For a blacksmith like me, that's meaningful because you hammer away at something and it stretches, it expands, it progresses. That's called forging. And you've said, oh, I'm forging ahead in my workplace. I'm forging ahead in my job. Well, Paul was forging ahead top of his class. There was no one more zealous than Paul, no one more invested in Judaism than Paul, more than any of his contemporaries, even more zealous. Notice what he says, even more zealous, exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He's all about the traditions. You know, there's a saying It doesn't matter how fast you're running with the ball if you're running in the wrong direction. How many of you have ever coached or had kids that have played youth sports? And it's inevitable. I was a soccer player, coached soccer for years, and you got the banana ball league. They call it banana ball. You know why? Because the kids run around in a big bunch. And they basically know there's a goal over there and the goal's over there. But all they care about is I got the ball, I'm running with it, and they're scoring the wrong goal. And that was Paul. He had this ball of religion, and he was running as fast as he could with it. The problem was, he didn't know at the time, he knows it later, I was running the wrong direction. I was going the wrong direction. I thought I was going to God. I was actually going away from God. Did you know religion takes you away from God? Rule following, tradition keeping, not that tradition is wrong, but being saved by tradition takes you away from God because it discounts the grace of God. What you're saying I meet people all the time. I say, well, are you a Christian? Well, I'm a Baptist. Well, what does that mean? I'm a Methodist. I'm a Presbyterian. 
None of those guys that started those denominations died for you. I'm a Christian. Can we just agree as a church to say we're Christians? Let's keep it simple. Let's keep it really simple. Because this group has its traditions and that group has its traditions and traditions are rituals handed down authoritatively through a community. It's a culture. You can circle that and you can write culture. So you get saved and you think you're doing okay and then you start going to church and they introduce to you church culture. Oh, you want to come here to church? Well, here's the things you have to do to be accepted by us. You go to Israel today, the Orthodox community, you still see they are zealous for the traditions. They wrap the thing around the arm a certain way. They got the thing they wear on their head. They got the four locks going on. It's all about tradition. And if you watch Fiddler on the Roof, you know what I'm talking about. You can sing the song or at least one word of it. All you need is one word. Well, it's one word twice. Tradition. This is what Jesus nailed the Pharisees for. They thought they could read the Bible and find life. But Jesus said, no, no, no. The scriptures point to me and I am where life comes from. Your Christianity is not about a relationship between you and the Bible. The Bible is good. It's the word of God. But it's about a relationship between you and God the Father through Jesus Christ. It's about a relationship. This is not meant for your information. It's meant for your transformation. It's meant to point you to Jesus Christ and tell you about what he's done and what he's doing and the power of his spirit and the power of his love and the power of his grace. And when you understand those things, whoo, your life starts to change. Matthew 15, 9, Jesus says to the Pharisees, they teach his commandments, the traditions of men. In the New Living Translation, it says their worship is a farce for they teach man-made ideas as commands of God. He says, so you knew my former life, but verse 15, it says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, notice he didn't call me because I was keeping all the rules. Because the Galatians, this relates to them because that's their life. Their story was God poured out his spirit on them before they knew law or rule number one. God had affirmed that he cared for them and was working in their lives before they knew the rules. And this is what's at stake. He said, when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him. Notice, not law. I'm going to preach Jesus. It's Jesus. It's what he did. It's the cross. It's forgiveness. It's the spirit of God. It's him among the Gentiles, the nations. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he's showing them, look, the message I have, the message of grace is not man-centered. It's God-centered. You don't have to get it from man. You get it from God himself. And anybody who's got the same message will find themselves in unity. Everybody, whatever denomination, whatever faith tradition, if you're hearing from God, you're hearing grace, and it brings us all into unity. Again, what I love about this church building right here, this who's seating in front of me, we come from all over the board in terms of church background. We got Baptists. We got Seventh-day Adventists. We got, we got people that come from Mormonism. We got... Methodist, we got Presbyterian, all different kinds of groups. What unifies us, not the traditions or the way this group practices or that group practices, that divides us. What unifies us is grace. Grace, Jesus Christ. You're in no better standing because you dress a certain way or because you do a certain thing than I'm in, in standing with God. It's not about our work. That's a beautiful thing. You can't ever compromise on grace, church. 
ever to preach him among the Gentiles. He says, now, this is an interesting thing. He said, I didn't immediately go to Jerusalem because what he's showing is he's an apostle just like the other apostles. His message is from God, just like their message is from God. So he's got his own authority, but he's not separate from them. He's going to show that. He's on par with them. He's in line with them. But this is interesting. He says, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. I didn't run off to seminary or Bible college. Not that those things are wrong. I talk to people on occasion and they'll say, well, so pastor, we see your church here in the county. Uh, Where'd you go to seminary? And some of you that know that I say, I ain't been to no seminary. Now, that's not a knock against seminary. I'm not saying seminary is wrong. Please don't hear me say that seminary is bad or wrong. But what it can be is a place where we indoctrinate with our faith's traditions. So people that know me say, Steve, we're glad you didn't go to seminary. Let me tell you a little secret. I study all week to learn this so I can teach it on Sunday like I've known it all my life. I'm learning with you guys. I'm just one of you just trying to stay a step ahead, a week ahead. I'm trying to sort out God in my own life. And we're learning because we open the Bible together and we try not to be biased. We try not to be slanted. We just try to say, okay, we're going to read the whole Bible and try to do what God says to the best of our ability. We all struggle with bias, but we're hoping that we can let God directly speak to us what he says. And that's why we go through the whole Bible. We don't have the Bible, then here's our book of traditions. Anybody grow up like that? I got the Bible, but we put that aside. Really what's important to us is our book of traditions. Here's who we are. So he didn't run off to seminary. He didn't run off to learn the rules. He got his MA degree. You know what an MA is? For him, it was he moved to Arabia. That's what it says there in verse 17. That's what it says. He says, I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go to learn this from the apostles in Jerusalem. I went to Arabia, and then I returned again to Damascus. You know, this whole thing with law and grace, and we were in Italy a number of years ago, just traveling around, and we, there's this beautiful church. I mean, Italy's filled with beautiful churches. It's all dead. It's all dead. The Reformation never made it to Italy. So it's all dead, big, beautiful churches, and they're dead. And we heard this music coming out of the church in the city, and it was just beautiful. So we walk in to try to go, and we're being drawn to this music and drawn to this church, and we go inside, and there's a sign the door that says there's a dress code, and unless you have on this certain kind of dress, you can't come in. And I'm on vacation, so I'm wearing shorts and sneakers, and I didn't fit the dress code. And in that moment, I recognized how people feel. I understood, because I was a person that wanted to be drawing close to God, and the church told me I couldn't come because I wasn't dressed right. And I thought, may it never be at Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna. May it never be that we have rules to keep people from coming to God just as they are. It's what we learn at Calvary Chapel from Pastor Chuck. You know, in the hippie days, the hippies are coming off the beach and they're surfing and then they're wanting to come to church. They got sand on their feet. They got oil, suntan lotion and all that stuff. Back in the days when we used to rub ourselves down with oil and try to intensify the sun. Now we're all wearing like you know, hazmat suits on the beach because we're afraid of skin cancer. But they'd come in and they'd get the sand tracked all over the rug and the sand and the oil. And the deacons put a sign in the window that said, don't come in with bare feet. And Pastor Chuck, I'm thankful for the example, he said of grace, he tore down the sign and he scolded the deacons. He said, either you take down the sign or you tear up the carpet. Let him come. Let him come. So Paul goes to Arabia and he's there for three years. What does he do there? We don't have any record of what he did there. All I can imagine is that 
his brain is now chugging through all that he thought he knew. He'd read the Bible. He knew the Bible. He knew the Old Testament. He'd read Isaiah 53. He'd read Psalm 22. He read the story of Isaac going up the mountain with Abraham to be sacrificed, and God will provide a lamb. God will provide a a sacrifice. And now, because he knows who Jesus is, he's got to re-understand everything for the first time. Do you know that feeling? When all of a sudden the light goes on and you say, wow, how did I miss it? I imagine in Arabia, he had a lot of times where he just said, how could I miss it? It was right in front of me all the time. And I missed it because the veil is lifted in Christ. When you see Jesus, the Bible makes sense. How did I miss it? The Passover, Jesus is the Passover lamb. The sacrifices, the celebrations, it all points to Jesus. And Paul learned that in Arabia, getting his MA degree. Verse 18, he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. Circle the word see. I'll give you the definition of that in a minute. I went up after three years to see Peter. That's the apostle Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother, who also was, by the way, considered an apostle. This is different than the apostle James. This is the Lord's brother who also thought Jesus was a kook. Verse 20, he says, now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I ain't lying. So I'm telling you guys the truth about this stuff. I'm being honest with you. It's bad when a pastor has to say, look, I'm not lying to you. This is the truth because we go, can we trust the message of the Bible? I mean, can I trust the Bible? And we're getting a timeline here, an important timeline. Verse 18 is so vital. Jesus crucified, resurrected. Some say 30, some say 33 AD. Because I'm bad at math, I'm going with 30. Jesus crucified, resurrected, 30 AD. The Apostle Paul saved Damascus Road experience one to two years after that. So we'll say 32 AD. Then he goes to Arabia for three years. Now we're at 35 AD. We're five years out, five years from the time when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There are people alive, Paul says it to the Corinthians. There are people that have seen Jesus alive, and you can talk to them if you want. Same time frame. They're all right there. So he goes and sees Peter. They spend 15 days together. You think they talked about fishing and the weather? What do you think they talked about? They'd not met before that way. Now they're co-laboring together in different areas. And I'm sure, you know, Paul, having not walked with Jesus personally, I'm sure he's asking him, you know, Peter, What was it like when you watched him raise the dead? When you were feeding the 5,000 and he just, the bread just kept coming and coming and coming. What was that like? And then Peter, what was it like when you denied him three times? And Peter says, oh, you had to bring that up, did you? You had to go there. But that look that he gave you and you wept. And then he said to you, when he was alive, he said, go tell the disciples and Peter, what was your experience of his grace like? How did you see him treating people? Because I know what I experienced. He doesn't go to validate the message. He goes to share, to build a relationship with Peter. The word historio, the word to see is historio, where we get our word history. It means to learn by inquiry, to find out. We would use it as to interview, to become personally acquainted with. If you were writing a documentary, you would go interview people to find out their experience. And that's what Paul does. He interviews, he builds a relationship with Peter. And they talk about their changed lives. 
Now, interestingly, we can date the initial message of Christians up to within about six months from the resurrection. By six months after the resurrection, the basic message of Christianity had been codified. Jesus Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose from the dead on the third day. And that was in a creedal form so it could be passed on within six months. Paul says that to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. He gets it from Peter right here, the creed, not the gospel, but the creed he gets in 35 AD. So we have very short amount of times. The gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, these are all written 40, 50, and 55 years after Christ lived, recorded by people that knew him, by people that lived in the same century. By comparison, how much history do we know about the life of Muhammad? Islam. Muhammad, born in 570 AD, dies in 632 AD. How far out do you think the first actual recorded that we have, we can look at, information on the life of Muhammad is? How far out do you think it is? Try 833 AD. 200 years later is the first actual record we have of anything to do with the life of Muhammad. Supposedly stuff was written down before then, but nobody's got it, can't look at it, can't refer to it. The gospel is trustworthy. The message of grace is trustworthy. Let me just finish up quickly here. Verse 21, he says, Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. That's where he was from. So he goes there. We don't know what he did there. He preached, no doubt. He had to deal with his family. That's his hometown. He had to deal with his parents going, Oy vey, Paul, we raised you right. And if your parents said that when you became a Christian, Oy vey. You were a good Jewish boy. The first service, it came out like Dracula too. I'm not sure why that is. I sound more like Dracula than a Jewish. I don't. And my grandfather is Jewish, so I should do better at that. But, you know, now he's a Christian. He's, you know, Paul, you had such hope in you, such promise, and you've thrown it all away to become a Christian. It's what I was told not by my parents, by people I worked for. You're going to quit doing your trade and you're going to become a pastor? Why would you throw your life away? Why would you throw your life away? I said, no, I'm just getting it back for the first time. I'm just finding it. I had to lose my life so I could find it. And Paul says, whatever I had, I counted all as trash for the excellence of knowing Christ. I was unknown, verse 22, I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. The churches of Judea were the ones he persecuted, were the ones that were scared of him. He was a terrorist, dragging people to prison so they could be killed, tearing families apart. And now the same people are hearing from a distance that this Paul has now become a preacher of the grace of God. Paul, all the message, Paul's experience, all about grace. Even how he came to it is about grace. Amen, church? You're going to hear this message of grace for the next number of weeks till we finish the book of Galatians. And I hope that we'll begin or continue seeing Christianity clearly.